I stayed up till about half one. Oh God, really? Oh God, I, I gave that up at about past ten. All oh, right. Well, I, I'm saying stayed up. I was in bed, kind of watching things yeah. on my phone a bit, and uh, and then just kind of fell asleep with the phone in my face type thing. Nice. That's what that imprint is. Okay. Yes, uh, that's my phone landing <laughs> square in the middle of my face. For those of you who aren't aware, we had a little um, election last night in terms of when we're recording this. Yeah, we're recording this on Friday the 13th, uh, an inauspicious day. The day dawns drab and dank and rather unpleasant. Uh, and uh, an awful lot of young people across the country are waking up to realise that their Twitter feed isn't actually representative of the rest of the country. Uh, their Twitter bubble isn't representative? Surely not. Shocking. Shocking, I know. I, I heard an interesting thing uh, yeah. a, a couple of months ago, and I don't know how true it is, but there must be some pilots who uh, listen to this show. Uh-huh. And apparently pilots are unofficially told that there's two topics that you should never discuss with your co-pilot right and one of them one of them is religion and one of them is politics well we'll steer clear of those then because we, we wouldn't want this ship to crash would we well exactly exactly but i thought that was very interesting because apparently um it can result in long drawn out conversations that never end and uh there has been situations <laughs> I should start a podcast <laughs> that, that there has been situations where pilots have um literally flown all the way past an airport because they were too busy talking about religion and politics. And Goodness there was one me. situation uh, somewhere in America where it w- it was literally like a member of the cabin crew who had to knock on the cockpit door and say, shouldn't we have landed by now? <laughs> this is a real thing. That's wild. I'll try and find the, the link to it. So I don't know if I tell the story, but we... we uh uh, when we went to Venice recently, uh, we had a taxi booked, and the guy just didn't turn up. And they kept, you know, kept saying, 10 minutes, ten minutes, ten minutes." It's like, you know, we've, we've allowed plenty of time, but you know, we've got a flight to catch first one of the day. So we we called an Uber, and Uber came straight up, fantastic. Oh yeah, really glad you're here, fabulous. We start chatting in the plane, and he drives past the airport. Oh, <laughs> he misses Heathrow <laughs> completely, <laughs> missed the turning, so had to go up and back again and round. We still just about made it in time, but only because we had the forethought to. Uh, my, my wife had the forethought to uh, to leave sort of a good hour or so to make the journey. Yeah, crazy. There you go. There you go. Yeah, Uber drivers can miss the airports. I guess pilots can too. That's. Uh, it's pretty wild. And we can't control the length of this this podcast when we're not talking about religion and politics. So how long would this be? Topics def- definitely best to be avoided, I think. On that note, welcome back to the Measuring Up podcast, the UK's first and we like to think favourite commercial joinery and general wood butchery podcast. I'm Peter Millard and as well as running a virtual 10-minute workshop on YouTube, I also run a small and far from perfectly formed carpentry and cabinet making business in the no man's land of West London. And I'm Andy McClellan and I run the Gosforth Handyman YouTube channel along with a whole bunch of other channels that I'm collecting over time. And every now and then, every couple of weeks, every week in fact, we get together to chat about all sorts of things, woodworking related and business related and YouTube related and everything to do with, well, the this kind of bizarre life that we now have straddling the world of making stuff and uh, YouTube. Yeah. But most importantly, 
How are you getting on, Peter? I'm getting on all right, thank you. Actually, I ache a lot. I've been I've been back on the tools this week, making a few bits and pieces. And I had something I wanted to talk about actually. The, the, we'll get into that, but you know, those those little jobs, sort of semi favors for somebody, that turn into something completely unlike what you intended. Um, I, 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 there's an old guy across the road who's who does the sort of caretaking, looking after the place, janitor, whatever you, you'd call him, superintendent. For the building, and uh, he wanted some, sh- some shells making, and it's uh, it's a long involved <laughs> story. But before we get into that, um, yeah, we we got a bit of follow up. We didn't did. We? Uh, we got we got quite a lot of follow up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. quite, quite a lot of follow up. Yeah, um, a couple of a couple of really good ones here. Uh, uh, one from Andy, wasn't it you? Was it? No, wasn't me. Uh, hi, Andy, and wasn't you? And hi, Andy and Peter. Uh, another great show, helping dilute the Christmas consumer onslaught and Monday morning blues. Thanks for that, Andy. And he says he thought he'd drop a short note regarding my planar review uh, and lamenting that the power cable was too short. It's, it's, it's the bane of my life having ridiculously short power cables supplied with power tools. Um, he's, and he says he agrees it's totally ridiculous and potentially dangerous, but he was reminded of his time in a consumer electronics industry in the late 80s and early 90s when they were trying to design a telephony product uh, with a manu- manufacturing cost of less than £65. He was involved in the costing of the circuit board, uh, and they costed the ind- individual components to two decimal places, uh, which they thought was pretty nuts, until a marketing colleague who'd previously worked for Black & Decker claimed that they costed component parts to three decimal places. So, Wow. I mean, extraordinary. Uh, he says he's not sure if this was really the case, but I guess in the volumes of a mass-produced power tool uh, manufacturer, it really does add up. So, yeah, fair, fair enough. That's, uh, that's a very good point. I hadn't considered that. Uh, that does seem extraordinarily fine tolerances, doesn't it? <laughs> Three decimal well, places for a, for a power tool. I suppose this is what happens when the marketing departments start running product design rather than the uh, the design department. And uh, I suppose so. Understand that they have to make a profit and all that sort of thing, but it sounds awfully like a a, a race to the bottom. And uh, I bet Festool yeah. and the like wouldn't be grumbling over three decimal places on the production of a unit. I wouldn't have thought so, no. It seems, it seems like the whole looking after the pennies and the pounds, look after themselves nonsense, where all you actually end up with, with is a big bunch of pennies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I mean, one of, one of the things that really bugs me is you finally find a really good tool of some of some description and not only is the power cable not long enough but it's made of like the that horrible plasticky pvc flex yeah the really brittle stuff oh it's, and it's awful to work with you can't yeah. wind it up properly or anything it's not the proper rubberized cable that you get on on decent tools yeah and yeah. and again same sort of thing for the extra quid or a couple of quid it would cost to put a decent cable on because i've got tools that i'm i'm genuinely now thinking of going round the tools and taking it to bits and just putting some decent cable on because it's so annoying. Yeah. When you just you can't wrap the cable up properly and it, it it's horrible yeah, to work yeah. with. I did that I did that with a cheap little nail gun, nail nailer stapler. Uh one of those orange one won't mention the brand because I really, really dislike them. One of those orange ones, you know the ones. Uh and it had that little, you know, literally two meters of brittle plastic PVC cable on it. So I, I took it apart and put a, a few meters of rubber cable on it, which improved the the amount of uh 
reach it would give me, but unfortunately didn't improve its its abilities as a tool. Yeah. So uh, I think it's still on a still on a shelf somewhere. But uh, yeah, they're not uh, they're not great tools, unfortunately. That's uh, yes, uh, it's something I've done on on a few, and it's something I might do on a few others as well. It's not yeah. Have you been? Uh, have yeah. you had any new toys or anything like that over the Christmas period? Have you, have you bought anything new recently? No, not really. Um, no, in fact, that's something I wanted to chat with you about. Actually, we we finished out the last show with a a quick chat about tools and tech that we quite fancied but uh, couldn't quite justify at the moment. And I said I I was looking at radio mics for a couple of reasons for the YouTube stuff. Uh, and I, I'll confess I do have a, a, a set in a shopping basket, <laughs> which might be purchased or might not. But I did notice you said you you wanted this you know crazy widescreen monitor as well as a. Possibly you really, really wanted a drone. I couldn't help but notice that in your current video, uh, the one from a couple of weeks ago, about uh, sponsorship, you had a, a couple of distinctly droney looking shots in there. Are they? Uh... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't shoot those. Uh, okay. No, I'd, uh, a friend of mine uh, shot those a long time ago, actually, on before drones became, became illegal. Right. And uh, it, uh, that's actually shot on a, a really expensive drone um but uh the the footage you can now get off well i'm looking potentially at like the little dji mavic mini drone which is pretty much the smallest and cheapest decent drone you can get these days yeah and i've watched a few side-by-side comparison videos and there's very little in it there's very little difference Uh compared to I mean, you're talking 350, 400 quid or something for mm. the, the Mini, which is still a lot of money, yeah. but it's not as much as I spent on my GoPro, put it that way. No, no, indeed. And yeah. um, and then you're comparing the footage against drones that cost maybe two, two and a half grand uh, back in the day, and there's there's nothing in it. There, yeah. There's really nothing in it. It's it's amazing. So, yeah, uh, uh, that, that footage wasn't... Filmed by okay. me, but fair enough. So you haven't actually you haven't splurged and and bought yourself a new a new drone, not quite. quite yet. By the have time have you got one in your shopping basket? Or? Uh, at the moment, it's kind of my wife keeps saying, "What do you want for Christmas? What do you want for Christmas?" It's like I, I don't know. I don't really need anything. Yeah, I get like, that too. And, and, yeah. and I'm like, I'd quite like this drone. It's like, well, if you want that, you're going to have to just buy it yourself. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Because it's too much money for all the, all the things you you quite fancy are all too much money for a Christmas present. Yeah, and, for and, dis- discretional giving, even. If if all your friends and family gather together. And if she accidentally gets the wrong one or something, it would just be a disaster, you know? So it's like, I would have to make sure she's getting exactly the right one anyway. So it's all a bit kind of, I don't know, it'll probably end up being something that I buy and then give it to her and she can wrap it up for Christmas Day or or something like that. But yeah, yeah. I mean, the widescreen monitor thing is just, no way would I spend 1,500 quid on a monitor. If I do... Please do shout at me. Okay. But uh, uh, I, I will have officially lost my mind at the point that I spent 1,500 quid on, on a widescreen monitor. Yeah, so, you're not, so you're not going to be in line for the uh, Apple Mac Pro <laughs> ProRes HDX display or whatever it is that they're doing? Probably not. How much is that? I think it's five grand. Five grand. Right. And £1,000 for the stand. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm sure it's lovely. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a... Yeah, uh, it's a it's a high end um, color calibrated monitor, which if you want to buy the Sony version, costs you forty thousand pounds. So you know, forty thousand dollars. So yeah, it's it's you know, it's 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 for the few, not the many. Let's put it that way. 
<laughs> much yeah. like the Compar- comparatively cheap. Yeah, relatively. Yes. Well, what, what apparently what happens is that uh, in you know production studios, movie studios, those kind of places, you have pe- lots of people editing footage for a, for a feature film, and that at the end of the chain, they'd have you know one or two people with these you know super pricey Sony monitors. Um, some of which can only run in perfect color correction mode for sort of six to eight minutes before they before they have to shut down to cool off. Apparently, no, uh, yeah. Uh, so they have one or two of these monitors, and, and the whole stream goes through these these guys who do the final color correcting, color correcting, color coding. Uh, whereas, if you could actually replace, you know, for for the same sort of money, you could get eight of these apple monitors uh, that makes sense however though you know how many people actually need a five thousand dollar um computer monitor or indeed a, a six thousand dollar pc comes to that not not many it's getting into these kind of nominal degrees of difference where your average consumer just isn't going to be able to tell the difference and you know i mean yeah. it, it gets the same, it's the same principle with hi-fi and audio equipment and all that sort of thing, and I'm forever on my high horse about that when people spend crazy amounts of money on interconnects and cables and, and stuff. Are we allowed to say monster cables? Monster or? cables, yeah. Well, I, I, I don't want to say anything to Have you bought any monster cables? Or? Uh, no. <laughs> Good. Okay, well, I can continue. <laughs> um, I, I mean, you know, if, if you've got money to burn feel free to buy the best cables in the world. But I, I will almost put, in fact, I would put money on the fact that in a blind test, if someone swapped the cables between that and uh, certainly for speaker cable, that and some decent mains flex, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. I mean, yeah. I definitely couldn't tell the, the difference, but my ears have had 30-odd years of drum abuse. Yes, true, true. And uh, <laughs> so I'm probably not the best judge, but... I've done blind tests with people who insist they can tell the difference between these 200 pound cables and literally a, a piece of mains flex. Mm. And, and I've, I've said, right, put your money where your mouth is. Let, let's swap them over and I'll not tell you which one it is. And they cannot tell the difference when mm. you, you do a blind test. And well, if you can, great. You know, maybe you have got hearing that's capable of, of telling the difference between these things, but I challenge you to do a blind test where someone swaps them out without you knowing and you have to say which is which. And you can't, you know. I had, like, rear speakers running off bell wire for for ages and I couldn't tell the difference, you know. I mean, now I do use okay speaker cable, but I buy it on a drum and maybe it costs, like, a pound a metre or something like that, you know. It's like... Uh, and the only reason I buy it in speaker cable form rather than using mains cable is that it's easier to split the pairs because it generally comes in yes. in a like figure of eight. So uh, when it comes to your final connection to your speakers, it's a bit neater. But anyway, yeah. off on one about speakers. Uh, but because uh, who who doesn't love neat speaker connections? Well, you know? exactly, <laughs> exactly. But it does look a bit tidier than just a piece of mains cable going into the back of your yes. cable, uh, back of your speakers. But um, yeah. I mean, there's there's something to be said. Sorry, we're going a bit hi-fi and audio-related here, but, um, <laughs> uh, you know, this was my background. By my background, uh, I am trained as an audio engineer, and just look at the interconnects that you get used in studios. They're not using 
400-pound cables to connect bits of gear together. I can assure you of that. I'm shocked. I mean, just look at in, inside a mixing desk and, and things. Look, look at yeah. the signal path that the, the original signal is taking, and it's going through... All those little phono patch cables. Yeah, 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 they're not going through... I mean, okay, they're, they're studio-grade and they're designed to last. That's kind of the important thing about studio-grade gear. Yeah. But in terms of shielding and all that sort of thing... Um, they're not. Trust me when I say they're not spending two hundred pound on a patch cable and <laughs> things like that. No. So if that's the original signal <laughs> path, it's never going to get any better than what the original signal path was. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. but if you can tell the difference, well, well done. Yeah, absolutely. You have you have better ears than me, certainly. A bit like fine wines, you know. I'm sure there are people who, who can tell the difference between a twenty pound bottle of wine and two hundred pound bottle of wine. Uh, I could probably tell the difference between a three pound one and a, an eight pound one, but you know, yeah. <laughs> in, in a blind test, I wouldn't want to you know, stake my life on it, to be honest. Yeah, exactly. When um, when I did drink yeah. wine, there was wines that I liked and wines that I didn't like, and some of them were cheap and some were expensive, but. Yeah. Um, if the bottles have handles, generally it's a cheaper wine. I think. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like a milk, like a milk jug type handle. <laughs> That's the one. Yeah, yeah. We had a, we had a nice message as well from uh, Steve. Uh, Steve says, "Hi guys, really enjoyed the show. Keep up the good work." Uh, responding to the four hundred pounds for a charging cable, staying with the cable theme. Uh, he says, "This touches me on two things." In February this year, he bought an old banger Vauxhall Vectra Estate for just over four hundred pounds, which does three hundred fifty miles to a tank of fuel. And have used it to uh, get an old washing machine, amongst other things, to the tip. Result, he says, uh, until there's a viable second-hand market for electric vehicles. I think there is to a certain extent. Um, but his, Steve says he really doesn't see a mass take-up of this tech. Uh, seen it, it's, it's, there. He says he saw a bit on the news where SUV gas guzzlers are selling at 37 times the rate of electric cars. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, yeah, it's a fair point. I, I, we, we have had a little, bit of, um, a little bit of feedback on the electric vehicle things. Obviously, a couple of people telling us on Twitter that we, we don't know what we're talking about, which is a very good, very perfectly reasonable uh, assessment, I think. Uh, Did someone say that? (laughs) uh, More or less. uh, They they suggested that we ought to go and uh, watch a few YouTube channels that I I do actually subscribe to to them and a few others. And uh, the the point I I made really was that, you know, our little discussion about... um, uh, about electric vehicles, and of course, we need to talk about the the demise of your truck and uh, the the extended uh, stay of execution on my little van as well. Um, but uh, when we chatted about electric vehicles, how how we might be f- sort of forced into this path, uh, one of one of my comments to, to the guy was that a lot of the YouTube channels are run about electric vehicles are run by electric vehicle enthusiasts you know they want to have electric vehicles that's the that's the whole thrust of it that's really what they want whereas i'm much more you know i like the general idea of it but it's got to fit what i want it to do Uh, i don't want it just because it's electric i want an appropriately sized vehicle to do the traveling that i want to do it's the transport rather than the fact that it's electric so that's sort of got a got to bend to my will to a certain extent and that's what we were trying to do i think just just feel our way around the around the the differences the pros and cons of of the whole electric vehicle sort of thing obviously for me it's becoming abundantly clear that as a very low mileage user they don't really make a lot of sense especially when you throw in the fact that i can't charge at home even though there is a reasonable charging network around public charges and all that but they are significantly significantly more expensive to use than 
um, home charging when you can charge at night on a, on a cheap tariff. Uh, and of course, your your experience, your initial experience with a with a thoroughly <laughs> repellent dealer, uh, kind of puts you off if you've narrowed down the choice to that particular vehicle, and that's the only dealer in your area that you would have to deal with to buy it. Then it's not you know it's not really doesn't really put you in a great position. Doesn't make you feel good about the idea of it. It doesn't. I mean, at, uh, at the point that you book in a test drive of an electric vehicle, and you give them several days' notice and you head down there with your family and take three or four hours out of your day to go and see what one of these things is like and they forget to charge it up, it's not a great experience of the whole electric vehicle thing. You know, it's a, yeah. it's the biggest fear in the back of my mind, what do I do if it runs out of juice? And I go for a test drive and it's run out of juice. And that that to me is like, okay, this is just this is insane. If you watch, uh, there's a guy called Ian Sampson on YouTube. I'll, we'll pop a link in the uh, in uh, the show notes uh, to his channel. And he he bought uh, a Nissan Leaf, one of the first Leafs, as a complete novice. And he's run it, and he's done a not quite a daily vlog, but you know regular videos all through the first few years of ownership of it. Uh, and he's now moved on to something else. And it, uh, exactly, I mean, this is, his, the channel goes back four or five years now. And that was his exact experience, pretty much. In fact, they they sold him. He ordered a car with a rapid charger in it, and they the one that turned up didn't have the rapid charger. He didn't realise until after he'd got oh, right. it and was running it for a while. Uh, and they ended up sort of giving him, a, giving him a bit of discount on it or some money back or something. They wouldn't They wouldn't change it. So, uh, but again, his, his whole, the whole sort of horrid, torrid mess of, of, uh, test driving cars that weren't charged or weren't fully charged. Oh, it's just, it's just, they haven't, they don't seem to have learned anything in the last sort of four years because, you know, EVs are relatively new. And if you're a garage that is used to selling petrol driven, uh, petrol powered or diesel powered vehicles, then it's a, it's a, a new thing to have to get to grips with, but you know. That's their job. That's what they do. They they should be capable of of <laughs> making that switch. If if people are expecting us, the consumers, to make that switch from from petrol or diesel to electric, then the dealerships at least have to make that that effort to make that change as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean they they should they should be immediately pulling out you know maps of the UK and saying like you can go from here to here. Here's all the charging stations. You know, like you've got nothing to worry about. They the the first approach to selling one of these vehicles, if I was selling a ve- an electric vehicle to someone, first of all, I would make sure it's charged up. And secondly... Always a good start, yeah. That I would confront head-on the fear that you're not going to break down somewhere and run out of juice. And we've had uh, a couple of great comments to the channel saying, look, don't worry about it. I've had one for a while. I think um, we've got someone chatting about... Uh, a- a Tesla one, we'll maybe chat about that next week. Yeah. Um, but just saying that it was just a total non-issue, the whole running out yeah. of juice thing, and it's never been a problem. Which yeah. Well, it, it, it shouldn't be a problem with, for example, Teslas, because they, they are just about the only vehicle that has this sort of magic 300-mile range. Um, yeah. Uh, and again, just to, just to put a little bit of background in there, I mean, the, there are usually rapid charges at, Service stations on motorways; those rapid charges will typically 
charge your vehicle to 80% in about 20 to 30 minutes. So, you know, it's, it's not a three hour stop every time you need to recharge. Um, so as long as there's one available, as long as there's one available, as long as some idiot in a, in a petrol engine vehicle hasn't parked in the spot in the spot. Um, yes, all, all those things apply. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I went on to just to have a look into the whole Tesla thing, um, because I'd always had it in the back of my mind that Teslas were, you know, 70 grand region for, for your cheapest Tesla. Well, the Model 3s um, came out last year, didn't they? So they're, they're, they start at around about 40, I think. Yeah, so they started 40, but then it was straight back into the dodgy dealing, dodgy dealing oh, really? car selling shenanigans. And I, I went through and I put an order on just to price it up, basically, just out of a matter of interest. And it came out at, at about forty grand for a, a, a black Tesla uh, Model Three, and then it came with a little line underneath saying uh, pricing discount. Uh, I, I can't remember the exact wording, but it was like pr- pricing discount, and then a line, and then f- like final price thirty grand. And I was like, "What? Thirty grand? That's amazing! That's like..." Cheaper than the Ionic. A ten grand discount. Yeah, this is cheaper than the Ionic. This is this is this is fantastic. And there was written. It didn't tell you anything what this discount was. And I, I was like, oh, is there some government discount that I'm unaware of? And and eventually, you know, did a bit of drilling. Found this tiny little plus sign. You click the little plus sign, which was n- not obvious at all. Yeah. And you click that, and it was an entirely made up fictitious ten grand basically saying this is what you would save on petrol over five years. Ah, what? Yeah. And it's like, but hold on, you don't know my driving habits. You don't know how many miles you drew. How many miles I'm going to do. You don't know, I mean, for all you know, I might be doing, um, it might just be sitting on my drive, you know. If if you're only doing a very low amount of miles, you weren't spending that much on petrol anyway. I mean, how much do you spend a year on, on fuel? Uh, for the van, I, I fill up six times, so it's about 300 quid a year. Yeah, exactly. So you're not going to save 10 grand over f- five years. Not a chance. So, and it was just, it was, as soon as I saw that, it was like, you absolute scam artists. That's a, a yeah. you know, it really wasn't obvious. And it, they're just, it was like, this is what we think you would. And it's like, okay, fair enough. Put in a calculator based on ask me a couple of questions about how many miles I do and, you know, yeah. do I do motorway miles? Is it city miles? And then you can make that judgment call. You don't just make up a 10 grand number and just shove it on there and say, this is what you could have won. You know, it's just, yeah. <laughs> oh, and that, it immediately turned me off from it. And it was just like, nah, gone. Yeah, it's another, you know, after the whole garage experience of yeah. the first one where they didn't even charge it up, here's my second experience. They're adding a ten grand discount on. That's not real. That's scummy, isn't it? Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, Nissan. To be to be fair to them, Nissan do have a, a a mileage calculator savings thing on their website. If you go and look at the Nissan Leaf or the uh, ENV two hundred, the Nissan van that they do. 
and uh, I, put, I put my my mileage in, and it couldn't compute anything. It just it just threw up an <laughs> error. <true>. You know? <laughs> it was like one of those. Don't be silly. <laughs> that can't be the right mileage. <laughs> I mean, even even if we had just the one vehicle, and and we did our you know our car mileage and the van mileage as well, it, it'd still only be about three thousand miles a year. Yeah, so, yeah. Like yeah divide by zero happen. error. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. I, the other thing, of course, is I don't really know what electric vehicles like if you just leave them sat for a while. Obviously, with a with a petrol engine or a diesel car, I know I've got a tank of fuel in that. I know that that tank of fuel will still be there in a week or a month, assuming nobody nicks it. With an electric car, does the do the batteries run out? Do they run down? I'm not sure, and they're certainly influenced by the weather as well. Um, they are, yeah. So if it if it's particularly cold, I think the the range drops. The range will drop consi- yeah, yeah, considerably, yeah. but yeah, I still desperately want one. And of course, I am now truckless. Ah, yeah. So, so what happened? You, you, you've it's gone. Bit the bullet. You put your put you put your truck on. Well, how'd you sell it? Was it eBay Auto Trader? What, what Just did you do? Auto Trader, and mm-hmm. um, it had been on for a little while. Uh, I had it on, you know, probably a bit too expensive. But it's it's one of these things that's quite difficult to price up because yes, there's not many of them for sale. You know, the, the my truck on auto trader was like one of the cheapest new shape l200s right. in the uk um and it was still not getting a huge amount of interest it's one of the things where uh, as soon as you get the slightest bit of snow everyone yeah. wants a four by four but until that <laughs> kicks in um or, or if they live in chelsea or if they live in chelsea yeah so it, it had sat there for a while and then suddenly um i'd had a, a couple of people who just been phoning and phoning literally every week saying, have you sold it yet? Have you yeah. sold it yet? And trying to knock us down. And it was like, I'll hold fire. Thank you. If if I don't sell it, I'll be in touch. But they were literally phoning every week, but offering like stupidly low amount. Yeah. And then someone offered us a reasonable amount and, uh, and that was it done and uh, sold and, and gone. Oh. And, you know, I've, I've had that truck for over six years now and, wow. and it's, been uh, uh, i have to say a lovely vehicle i I loved my l200 it was a fantastic workhorse of a vehicle it you know family wagon as well yeah crew cab seat get the the kids in the back and camping stuff in the in the bed awesome for camping you know as you say five seats so it's like driving around in a normal car inside the truck but you've then got the full truck bed with the cab over which is huge and uh for camping trips. Of a boot, yeah. yeah, for camping trips and stuff, it was just absolutely amazing. Plus, it's four by four, so you can just drive anywhere. Um, yeah. And it, it was just a great vehicle. But unfortunately, with the way, or fortunately to a degree, but um, it, it was just sitting on my drive, not doing anything. And, and it just didn't yeah. make sense. As much as I would have loved to have kept it just because it's handy to have, I couldn't justify it. Um, because you never know when you might need to transport a fridge. Hey? You never know when you might need to transport a fridge, and uh, or, a, or a Christmas tree, for example. We got our Christmas tree in my wife's Fiesta. It was funny Yay. because we we sold the truck, and it was literally the next day we were going to buy the Christmas tree. <laughs> and obviously, for the last goodness knows how long, we've always just put the well six years. We've always put the Christmas tree in the back of the truck. Yeah, and then uh, we'd sold the truck, and it's like, oh, are we going to go and get the Christmas tree this weekend? I was like, yeah, yeah. How are we going to pick it up? 
Oh, <laughs> just hitch it and put a couple of wheels on it. And <laughs> yeah. hitch, hitch the trunk to the back of the Fiesta. So measured measured up the Fiesta. It's like okay, well, we can potentially put one seat down and have the kids kind of squished a little bit on onto the left in the remaining two seats. Um, measured it up, and it's like yeah, we can get a six foot tree in here, no bother. And um, and we did. Not a problem. You'll be you'll be picking pine needles out of your upholstery for months to come. No, all planned. We've wrapped it up in a blanket. Okay. So I've got, got one of my dust sheets, and <laughs> uh, obviously it comes netted, and then before putting it in the car, wrapped it up into a little sausage in, in the blanket, so not a single needle fell off it while it was in the in the car. Absolutely, jobs are good. So Christmas tree's fine. Yeah. We've done that. We've done camp. Uh, have we done camping in the... No, we've we've done a long family holiday in in the little Fiesta. You can get a couple of suitcases in the back. Yeah. I think we did Disneyland in the in the Fiesta, and it was fine. Yeah. We haven't done camping. I don't think you could do camping in it. It's just mm. not enough room for all the gear. Um, but yeah, at the moment I'm weighing up my options, and yes. we're just gonna see how long we can survive yeah. with the one car before it turns into a complete pain in the backside. Yeah. But, you know, it's not until you ditch it and live for a little while without it. Obviously, if, if I was still full-on doing the joinery business, mm. it, it would be a no-brainer. Yeah. I, I, would, I would have to have it. But for what I'm doing now, I've got a massive stock of wood that I, I don't need to buy any wood for quite a long time because mm. I've still got sheets of MDF and all yeah. sorts to keep us going for, for quite a while. And you had it you had it delivered as well, mostly, didn't you? Yeah, with, yeah. MDF, it, yeah. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And In fact, uh, it, it was very, very rare that I would pick up sheets of MDF mm. um, because it was just such a scary experience carrying it on the roof. Yes, yes, as, we, as we've discussed in previous, uh, previous podcasts, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Uh, so at the moment, weighing up more options, I do like the look of, and I think someone had mentioned it on something, I can't remember where it came in, but someone mentioned the <laughs> Mitsubishi Outlander PHEV, and I had right. been looking at that. So plug-in hybrid, 20 or 30 mile range, petrol. Um, so for all your daily commutes, you've got all the advantages of, of uh, your electric side of things. But for long journeys, it's yeah. a big family car, you know, kind of Wagon. almost Ranger Rover size thing. But you've got the benefit. Yeah. Would you Would you keep that and the Fiesta? No, would probably just have the one. Right. Do the one. Probably. Okay. Um, but then again, the Fiesta is worth nothing. It's it's zero tax. Yeah. It it costs pennies to run on diesel. It's like I might as well. Uh, the insurance is really low on it. I might as I might as well just yeah. keep it. The, the Fiesta isn't isn't worth selling. In fact, I've spoken to um, a couple of people and they said, "Oh, that you know that early model of Fiesta." Don't sell it, you know. Keep hold of them because you can't, yeah. you can't buy zero tax diesels anymore. As far as I'm aware, no, no, um, that's right. So, because yeah. you've got the the petrol three cylinder, uh, yes, the Fiesta petrol three three cylinder, which is again, yeah, tax free. That's zero tax, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, but to to get a zero tax diesel mm. Fiesta, I don't think that's a thing anymore. So. 
No, no. Uh, I would be duff to get rid of it. Powers that be just want to banish diesel engines altogether, I think. Diesel's evil now, so yeah. I might as well just keep it. Yeah. So we'll see. I, I, yeah. It was quite an emotional thing. Oh, I can the, imagine. I can imagine. Watching the truck, you know, yeah. it, it, on the, it, there's a subtle thing at the end of my uh, sponsorship video, which I'm sure no one has, has twigged onto it, but you'll see all these buckets and junk in my workshop as mm. the Patreon credits are going up. And that is literally just, it's the contents out the back of my truck because <laughs> five minutes before that I'd sold it. Uh. It was just like, I need to do a quick thing for the end screen. Yeah. And it was like, oh, that's relevant. And and I'll I'll always know what that means. Yeah, yeah. No uh, one else knows what it means. Well, they know what it means now. They do, they do now, yeah. <laughs> but I'm looking at all these uh, buckets and tow ropes and bits of junk that you have lying around in the back of a vehicle. All, all the stuff that you've got over, <laughs> clogging up the... Uh, yeah, it's, it's now just clogging little workshop, up the workshop. So. Yeah. We shall see. Watch the space. I'm not not in a rush to make a decision about it. I'm just gonna see how things go. No, well, if you don't if you don't need it, need it, then then there's no. You know, uh, it's worth waiting until you do, because you know, new models are coming out all the time, and the the whole electric vehicle thing is is improving. Uh, you know, the the electric electric car or van that you would have bought four years ago the battery technology the battery conditioning heating cooling all that sort of stuff has yeah improved beyond measure since then so yeah you know they're, they're coming up with better ideas all the time so yeah smart move to uh to hang fire for a just bit. to hold fire you know if if nothing else just over winter and then because i suspect once we get into spring and if we ever manage to sell our house mm. and the whole renovation thing starts Touch wood if all that goes ahead according to plan. Mm. I think at that point is when I'm going to have to make the decision uh, because th- then I, I am probably going to struggle with a Fiesta lugging stuff around all the time. Um, yeah. But you know, ca- but then, but then is is the decision? Do you just buy a cheap van for the for the duration? Yeah, you know, you buy just a, a cheap something or other just to get you because if you're if you're not hidebound by the emissions laws where you are. Or restrictions, um, then, then yeah, pick up a a cheap a cheap truck or a or a cheap van exactly. just to do the or or as Andy's uh, excuse me Steve said uh, in in the messages earlier on you know a cheap estate car yeah just to as a load just lugger a, yeah or you know just with a bit careful planning hire a one when I need it yeah I, I can yeah. hire a transit True. for thirty quid for half a day and if I can work all of my delivery and dropping stuff off for whatever ever I need. Mm. And if I only need to do that, maybe with a bit of planning, maybe once a month. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's cheap um, motoring, isn't it? Then 30 quid a month to versus uh, the running costs of, of a vehicle and all that yeah. sort of thing. We'll, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, I, we'll... we'll Make the decision next year, and at the minute, we'll we'll just see how how we got on. We've we've done the Christmas tree, we're we're fine for now. All, all good so far. Excellent. <laughs> yes. Excellent. Uh, we had a good uh, a good message from Graham as well. Graham says, "Hi, Peter and Andy. Thought I'd drop you a line to thank you. It's quite a long uh, uh, email this one, so I've I've edited it a bit, uh, and perhaps we'll shoot you a quick message, uh, Graham, uh, directly." Uh, 
just to answer all your questions, but says, uh, uh, Graham says, hi, Peter. And I thought I'd drop a quick line to thank you for all the information uh, you've put out over the years. Uh, he says he's in between jobs in IT in his mid forties and trying to move into cabinet making and handyman work. So the videos and podcasts have been extremely helpful. Thanks for that, Graham. Glad to, glad to hear it. Uh, he says he's just designed a built in wardrobe with drawers and top box for an alcove in his son's bedroom. A few things are still open to question and wonder if they'd be a good uh, question for the podcast. He says the doors and drawers that are constructed, the, the drawers on one side of the cabinet can only extend about 500 mil due to a radiator, although the alcove is 900 deep. Wow, wow. that's a deep one. Um, he wondered about partial extension runners, but because they want super strong 60 kilo soft clothes uh, runners, they've gone for bloom and they're all full extension. Uh, he decided to simply make the drawers on that side 500 mil deep. He says he, he guesses he could add stops, but maybe maybe there's an alternative. But he says he, he was surprised at the costs, in particular, of the drawer hardware. Um, he said in, in order to avoid comparing hundreds of different ones, you just went for the Bloom 60 kilo Maventos. But once you add locking clips, it comes in at £345 for six drawers. That's about 58 quid per drawer for, for runners and clips. I assume that's just runners and clips, not the drawer boxes themselves. Um, he says, uh, does that sound like is in the expected range for this sort of thing or is, is, does that sound expensive? Um, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm assuming that he's, he's using 500 mil runners for a 500 mil draw. Uh, decide to make the drawers on that side 500 mil deep. 500 mil deep. Yeah. So if you're for 500 mil runners, yeah, that's, that's quite high. I pay about... Uh, for Bloom Mavento with the front clips, I pay about £28 a pair. I, move, I switched to using Mavento's uh, last, no, year before last. Uh, and they're really good runners, really nice uh, really nice and smooth, and lots of adjustment on them as well. Um, so, yeah, that sounds a bit, a bit steep. It does. Um, but presumably, whether or not the radiator's in the road, isn't really going to change that price, is it? Or is it? I'm not. I'm not that up to speed on. No, I think it was only only if the the the, the drawer because he's got a 900 mil depth. The drawers can only come out 500 yeah. mil because of the radiator. So he had to go with 500 mil runners rather than. I don't think you can get 900s actually. Uh, I think Bloom only only do 700 or something. And one thing I would suggest. Mm. I mean, presume this is a bedroom, isn't it? So less yeah. of a problem. But I. Certainly in, in any house that we move into now that has really deep alcoves, especially in the living room, what I will do, because you don't need alcoves to be that deep. It, it Generally, they end no. up being impractically deep. And what I You would, can't reach the back of them, can you? That's exactly. The and what I would rather do is um, bring the wall, bring the back wall in with a false wall um, yeah. and add extra soundproofing. Yeah, that's a good idea. Because if it's a semi-detached house um that is you know your noisiest room in the house especially if you're like me and you're into your home cinema and music and you know when i'm listening music i like to listen it quite loud and i don't want to be worried about it disturbing my neighbors so Mm. if you've got extra deep alcoves in a living room um i would suggest you uh, look into soundproofing your back walls and you might lose maybe 100 mil or something off your back mm. walls but you if you can afford to lose that yeah. the the benefits that you gain by having that extra level of soundproofing are are huge yeah. um so that, 
that would be my preference. Not so much for a bedroom. You don't, you don't yeah. really have to worry about soundproofing. Well, it depends what you get up to in a bedroom. Yeah, 900 mil deep. That's a deep alcove, isn't it? You get a, a priest's really hidey deep. hole and still have an alcove. Sorry, we're back on religion again, are we? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get, uh, yeah that's, a, that's a deep old alcove, isn't it? It is. It makes you um, think what, what else you can do with that space because it, it does, like, yeah. what do you do with it? It's, it's you know, it, it's to the point that you could put double hangers for like hangers back to back for uh, for yes. a wardrobe you've got enough space almost to do two close rails yeah. uh, cl- two close rails almost yeah. um oh you've yeah. certainly got- actually what i did on the on the on the big wardrobe job that i did earlier this year uh they they had actually that's true is uh because they were bringing the wardrobes out to full depth across the chimney breast we ended up with an 800 mil uh depth into the alcove and they put shelves at the back of that and the hanging hanging space in front. Yeah, yeah. So for the stuff you don't use very often, shoes or whatever that can go behind. And you just sort of move the move the clothes and the hanging rail to one side. I mean, I would also consider moving the radiator if that was an option. Um or going for a more mm. modern radiator that's a bit smaller. Um I'm always amazed in, in our new build how tiny the radiators are mm. and a lot of it's obviously down to the the U values of the the walls and yeah. how insulated the property is, and it doesn't need big radiators. But a lot of it's also down to the fact that more modern radiators are more efficient, and you you don't need as big a radiator to do yeah. the same function. Yeah. So whether or not that would be a, a practical alternative as as well, yeah. because it would bug you forever and a day. Every time you open the door drawer, it's going to hit the radiator. Uh, well, obviously, if he's got five hundred mil draw draw runners, um, that's not going to happen. But of course, you, you could put shelves behind the drawers, couldn't you? Uh, Graham also says that similarly, similarly, similar to the doors. Similarly, at the doors on that side, the radiator side will never be able to open ninety degrees due to a window sill and curtain rail. Uh, and he says that he sees that Bloom make inserts to limit some of the hinges to eighty-six degrees. But what if that isn't enough? Any any bright ideas or or a more elegant way of doing that? I I, I personally, it's again one of my pet hates is is doors that don't open fully. Yeah, <laughs> if, you, if a door will only open partially, it drives me nuts. So I would always step. Uh, the doors in, so you put a, an infill on the left-hand side to bring the doors away from the wall far enough so that it will open to ninety degrees. Um, and in fact, I did that in these in this um, in that big wardrobe build as well. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely do that. Um, I don't see. I mean, if if the alcoves are that deep, then they're probably quite wide. You should have plenty yeah. room to do. It only needs to be like a three-inch infill or something on on the left. To bypass the, uh, and uh, I mean, would that not bypass the radiator as well? Could it, could you not have a big enough possibly yeah infill yeah. just to bypass the radiator a- again? Maybe switch to some sort of slimline radiator where yeah. you've got enough room then to do full extension drawers and then not worry about losing half of your alcove depth. So, yeah. or, or even just put a skinny tall. Like a uh, you know getting kitchens for ironing boards and that sort of thing, yeah. maybe 150 mil or 200 mil open open shelf unit or, or something to the left hand side yeah. to put whatever I don't know is it son's son's bedroom I don't know uh, stick a PC in there put a skateboards I I don't know whatever whatever stuff boxes 
even empty boxes, yeah. Whatever you've got that would fit into a, a relatively narrow space. I would, I'd say a wine rack, but probably not for a, for a boy's bedroom. It's <laughs> <laughs> my thoughts, you know. <laughs> what, he was saying about um, MDF, wasn't he? Oh, yeah, sorry. That, that was a bit I, I edited. He, oh, sorry. he was saying that, um, yeah, even um, he put a little anecdote about how, how long these things take when you're new to it and the nearest place uh, to him that supplies MDF is a builder's merchant that stocks Medite. And just to get the MDF took uh, a phone call and three trips when he actually got there and showed the cut list to the guy who was doing the cutting. It turned out their panel cutting facilities are fairly limited. So we went away again to make a, a plan for them to do one or two lengths one or two cuts lengthwise per sheet, and then come back the next day to collect. So yes, he, as he says, he even had to learn how to buy MDFs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's all a learning process. You know, we, we've all been, been through this as well. I know I'm exceptionally lucky to have the the timber yard that I do so close to me, who do you know really great board cutting, uh, and I must go and see them because I haven't been in. Don't think I've been in this month at all. So uh, must take a few boxes of uh, boxes of chocolates in for them. Those little tubs of heroes that you can get, or, or, or whatever celebrations for a couple of quid from Tesco's or Asda, they always go down well. Yes, I find down the yard. Yeah, it, absolutely, and and they'll get through them before Christmas, I'm sure. Uh, before lunchtime, I would imagine. <laughs> but yeah, it, it is different everywhere you go to buy MDF, and it's kind of you need to just build up that experience of what it's like in your area, and it's a very a, a lot of people kind of say, oh well where do I go to? And it's like, it depends where you are. It depends what vehicle you've yeah. got. It depends on how much you need to buy. Do you need to cut it? Are you happy to cut it to yourself? Because, you know, if you need a lot of it, just get it delivered in big sheets, but yeah. then you're going to have to have somewhere yeah. to store it and you're going to have to be manhandling all the, the sheets. But if you've got a, a good yard like you've got, who are happy to do the cutting, Make use of that if if they do it for free. Well, it's yeah, it's a it's a big part of their business. They've got a big, you know, huge, expensive panel saw. They've got a big edge bender. They've got a probably a, a slightly smaller CNC than they should have. But uh, yeah, it's a it's a it's a big part of their business: cutting and machining and edge bending sheets to a finished standard for people, so that guys like us can just order it, pick it up, and nail it together. Basically, um, easy life. Yeah, good stuff. Back on the subject of vehicles again, so this has ended up being a, quite a vehicle-heavy podcast, but I think it's quite relevant to a lot of businesses out there. And, and yeah. Tell you what, we could call it Top Gear or something like that, couldn't Top we? Gear, yeah. Top yeah. Van. Yeah, that's the one. Top EV. We'll make an EV <laughs> podcast. Oh, no. Um, so your van is, um, you don't have to get rid of it. Well, the little super van has, has had a, a stay of execution, I think. Um, I put a little vloggy type of video out for my Patreon supporters. And one of the things that I did uh, during, I did like a little sort of week in the workshop kind of thing. And one of the things I did, uh, uh, not last week, um, was that I got my van MOT'd. And... I thought while I was there, I'd ask the guy at the garage, the guy who tests vehicles all day long, what he knows about these emission changes. You know, we've we've discussed this before. London, uh, our London mayor has, has made changes to the emissions uh, outside of the scope of our regular MOT, which means that certainly heavier diesel vehicles and commercial vehicles. Uh, have to meet the new standards or, or pay a, an expensive daily rate not to meet the new standards. Uh, anyway, I, I thought I'd ask the guy at the garage uh, if you knew if it was. And as I was saying, hey, what about these new ULEZ compliance? Is it not compliant? He said <laughs> straight straight away, not compliant. 
Uh, okay, because I, I, I mean, the, the website is really confusing from TFL, Transport for London. Um, there was no way to check whether a vehicle was compliant with the standards that are coming in, only whether it's compliant with the current standards. The current standards, excuse me, the, the standards coming in, uh, the standards change in October of next year. So obviously, if, you, if you've got a vehicle with a new MOT, you know, now would be the time to be getting rid of it rather than leaving it until September next year. So you've got to sort of plan a little bit ahead in these things. So the guy in the garage was, was adamant that my little van and vehicles of this type, and he said he, he works in a garage, he's got three three vehicles that don't comply. He said, okay, fair enough, he, he must know what he's, up, what he's about. And I was a bit, you know, I, I'd put a, uh, a notice out on on Instagram. My, my van sailed through its MOT. Emissions are absolutely fine. But it wouldn't. I'd have to get rid of it um, yeah, on my reading of of the uh, TFL website. Uh, a few people questioned this and had me questioning myself because they, they reckoned it was down to vehicles only o- over a certain weight. And I, I put a bit of this out on the uh, on the Patreon channel uh, for my Patreon supporters. There's a, there's a bit of back and forth again. We like to put these questions out to the hive mind and get the other minds working. And one of my Patreon supporters, Graham Bleach, in fact, Graham's also a supporter of this channel as well, this channel, this <laughs> of the podcast. Uh, you can support the podcast at uh, patreon.com forward slash measuring up podcast. And thank you so much to everybody who does. But Graham had, had been through this a little bit as well. And he discovered that there's a new compliance checker on the Transport for London website and actually checks for compliance for the next year's standards. Uh, and this is new. This has only just sort of come up. And, and, and according to this, I think... The van is okay, but let me read what it says because this is—I mean, the the the—it's so ambiguously written. So you you feed your number plate in, and it comes up with a vehicle type. Yeah, that's right. Tougher. This is what it says: tougher low emission zone LEZ standards do not apply to this vehicle. Current LEZ standards may still apply. If you plan to drive in London today, you may need to pay the daily charges to travel in the following charge areas congestion charge, ultra-low emission zone in central London, and the low emission zone in greater London. Uh. <laughs> so what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, doesn't that perfectly contradict the first thing that they said? Exactly. Uh, I think, and this is, this is, again, we had a little bit of a chat with Graham about this on, on the, the Patreon channel. I think what, what they've done is, Instead of putting this compliance checker for next year standards on the website in addition to the current year, it replaces it. So you you can't actually check via Transport for London if your vehicle is is compliant for the current standards. You can only check it against the standards that are coming in in late October next year. Right. So because... It's that today, if you plan to drive in London today, then you've got to make sure that it's compliant with the current standards. But they're just covering their backsides by saying that you may need to pay the daily charge, depending on... But there's no way on the website now to check whether the vehicle you've got is compliant with the current standards. So if you've done it already, then you know. Uh... But if you haven't... uh, I mean, what a mess. Oh, there's also a spectacular spelling mistake in that as well. You know... Goodness. It doesn't bode well. It doesn't bode well. It doesn't. But as far as I can tell, rereading the rules and regulations, 
vehicles under three and a half metric tons and mine's 1.9 or something uh, are exempt from the regs that are coming in in late October next year. So oh, we've got okay. a, a stay of execution for another another year anyway, which is the main thing. Did I need to do something about it now or can I leave it until next year? What was the limit? Three and a half tons? Three and a half metric tons, yeah. What, what's um, the workhorse of, of our fine nation, the the transit? Uh, how heavy is the transit? Transit van? I don't know, actually. That's a very good point. Yeah, that would be... We'd probably check I, that out. I wonder out. if they've based it on how heavy a transit is or something like that, because there would be a massive backlash if if all the transits have to go. And, and yeah, uh, I mean, they were they were looking at introducing a cut down version of of that in Newcastle, and they were talking about tolls over the Tyne Bridge and all this sort of thing. And there was yeah. a, a huge uproar about it, and it's they've backpedaled on on everything. Um, I did read something about. Um, grants towards uh, more fuel efficient vehicles for businesses or something. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I'll have to have a look into what that is and who it's for. I don't know if it's aimed at like HGV drivers yeah, or whether it's aimed likely. at uh, small small businesses like ours yeah. and uh, tradesmen. Yeah. When when has any government of any flavour ever done anything for small businesses? Well, <laughs> especially on the vehicle side. I mean, I don't know. It's worth keeping an eye out because sometimes these things do randomly just crop up and then disappear again. And and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll have a look into it. And if if it's a real thing, I'll put a link in the description. Yeah. Uh, in the show notes. But yeah. uh, actually, I say that I I I don't pay rates on my. Uh, on my premises, because it's a small business unit. Yeah. Um, I'm exempt from that. So there is that, I suppose. Well, interestingly, I've, I've been doing a bit of research for um, a, a video over on my Small Business Toolbox channel uh-huh. all about um, people complain a lot about small businesses having a hard time in the UK and all that sort of thing. And I thought I would have a bit of a, a look into, you know, how bad is it really? Because if if you earn twenty grand a year in the UK, you're only paying thirteen percent tax in total of of your total profits. Yeah. If, if you're bringing in twenty grand, which admittedly is is low, but um, for many people, twenty grand would be a luxury. So <laughs> I figured, let, yes. let, let's yes, let's absolutely. just shove that figure in and there's, see. What... There's many a YouTuber who would. Uh... Be happy making twenty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you know, it's a, it's a starting point. You could certainly live off it. Um, you, how comfortably you could live probably largely depends on where you are in the country. But um, I, I thought it was an interesting figure to go off. And and so far, the UK is coming on top. Um, in my little straw poll, of how much tax you pay on your overall income once you've deducted your personal allowance and you cater for national insurance and all that sort of thing. Right. And as I say, it, it works out about 13%. Um, and then obviously it, it starts to ramp up the more yeah. that you make from that point onwards. But it's not a huge amount. Um, a lot of people are like, oh, how much should I be putting aside? 30 40% of my income? And it's like, mm. not really. I mean, yeah, if, if you're getting into much higher profits, then yes. But if if you're in a part of the world where you can live off 20 grand a year... Mm. It's about thirteen percent that you're going to be paying out in tax, which obviously you've got all your other outgoings, you know, pensions and yeah, of course, 
uh, run and cost yeah. of your business. But though I'm, I'm talking yeah. profit here of, yeah. of the business. Yes, but it's not outrageous, is it? Interesting one to keep an eye on. Um, I think France came out at about 16% or, or thereabouts, so France is nominally higher. But there's some countries that don't have a per- personal allowance at all. Mm. There's some countries where you have to pay to be self-employed. Oh, there's yes. Like a ta- yes. There's, a, there's a tax on being self-employed. Yeah. So even yeah. if you're not making anything, you have to pay a fee to, to be self-employed. And a, f- a friend of mine was, was stepping out with uh, a, a French woman who was head or uh, a leading light of, the, uh, of a change of chamber of commerce in their, in their local town, local city. And she was just appalled at the idea that anybody can set up as a self-employed individual. To do that in France, you have to pay a deposit to the Chamber of Commerce um, just to just to set up a, a, you know any kind of one man band window cleaning business, bloke on a ladder and a bucket. Yeah, you know, they've got a, and it's substantial. It was like five grand. Yeah, to just to have the temerity of of you know running a <laughs> running your own business, uh, and this is old socialist France. You know. uh, and there'll be much lower VAT thresholds, and yes. so your your overall outgoings would be considerably more yeah. well honestly we for self-employed folk we've we've got it really good in this country um so as i say it, it's an interesting one to keep an eye on to see how the figures compare i'll probably publish them somewhere <laughs> once i've gone through it and kind of got my head through it <laughs> the trouble is it's so different how it works in different parts of the world it's very diff- difficult to compare them because it's like yeah you you have this tax but you don't have that tax or you know, you you don't have the NHS, so you're going to have to pay private medical insurance and things. So yes, um, yes. there's a lot of other things that you have to consider. If it, it's difficult to do a pure side by side comparison, yeah. but yeah, we've, we've got a pretty it's an awful, awful lot of research in there as well. How how do you go about deciding which countries to to compare? Oh, I've just put out a little thing on my uh, community tab on YouTube and just right. said, look, if if you were making twenty grand a year profit. Or whatever that is in your currency, right? So you're right. You're basing it on the on the on the information that you get back, basically. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Got it, got it. Because I, you know, I understand a little bit about other taxes, uh, other tax laws in other countries, but not enough to make even uh, not even to hazard a guess as to how much tax you would have to pay if you wanted to be self-employed. I, I just, it's a whole can of worms, but. Uh, so we're out of time, yeah. amazingly. Already. Already, yeah. <laughs> so I think uh, we need to give people a bit of a shout-out, but it would be good to remind everyone that we are a weekly show now, mm. and if you want to listen to weekly show, it's all you need to do is subscribe on Patreon, and you'll get your little RSS link, and you put it into your podcast player of choice, and then suddenly, as if by magic, you'll get the... Patreon only version of the weekly show because there are things that we are talking about going into stuff. What did we chat about last week on the Patreon? Uh, quite heavy on accounts. Yeah, uh, accounts and accounting stuff are very good for anybody considering starting a small business or, or running a small business. Yeah, uh, talking about the, the the accounts and the making tax digital thing that is trying to be forced upon us uh, here in the UK. That's right. And that that was uh, episode forty. And this is episode 41. So episode 40, it was uh, all accounts and tax related. So if that's of interest, you know, all small business stuff, that's uh, get onto the Patreon 
feed and you'll be able to get the uh, the weekly show via that. We are utterly dependent on our ma- amazing Patreon supporters to keep this show on the road. We're not accepting yeah. any sponsorships and uh, it would be awesome if you could chuck in a dollar in the pot and um, join us on the weekly shows. That would be absolutely fantastic. With all of that in mind, if you chuck $3 in the pot, you'll be put into our random uh, name generation machine to have your name read out on the show. And this week, I would like to give a very special thank you to Piece of Timber, Ryan Hunt, Paul at Cunningham's Custom Creations, James's Man Cave, Ian Nelson, Brian McIntosh, Ben Campbell at the Colonel Collective, Mike Broom, Randall Davis and Jay Wong. And I'd like to thank uh, Wayne Gilbert, Jeffrey Cohen, Matt Roberts, Phil Frost, Sam Valiant, Tom Frost, Brendan from the Shades Workshop, Jonathan Holford, Harry Capper, and Sean Jeffrey. Uh, Andy Mack, uh, when where can people find you, you if they want to get hold of you? You can find me. Uh, where can you find me? Gosforth Handyman on YouTube, Gosforth Handyman on Instagram, and Gosforth Andy on Twitter. And where do we find you, Peter? Uh, you can find me. I am 10 Minute Workshop on uh, uh, YouTube. Uh, at 10 Minute Shop on the Twitters and at 10 Minute Workshop on Instagram. You can post feedback uh, to the at Measuring Up PC on Twitter or Instagram at Measuring Up Podcast or uh, email us from the contact form at the www.measuringuppodcast.com website. Uh, those will always reach us. And if you get a spare couple of minutes, do drop us a, a, a review on iTunes. Just five-star reviews would be awesome. That would be wonderful. There's enough negativity in the world. If it's not your sort of thing, just don't listen to it. But it really helps us to keep the show growing. If if you can leave us a a five-star review on iTunes. Massive thanks to everyone who has already left reviews on there as well. It's always appreciated. And on that note, let's just wish everybody a very happy Christmas uh, or whatever celebration you have at this time of year um it's a it's a great time for family to get together and you're kind of like our family so uh, i hope you have a, a fabulous time over the festive fortnight yes folks have an absolutely amazing christmas and we shall see you next time thanks again okay